Grab your Bible and open it with me to the book of 1 John. And we are in chapter 3. And in a moment, we're going to start in verse 18. And go through verse 24. I've said numerous times that the theme of 1 John is what? Assurance. That's right. How we can be sure. How we can know that we have eternal life. Now, so far, John has taken us on a journey. But in every single verse, he is pointing us to this bigger issue. This greater theme of assurance. (laughs) And we're going to see this again tonight. Let me ask you a question. It's kind of a personal question. How many of you have ever had a broken heart? Maybe somebody broke up with you. Maybe your favorite team lost a big game. Boy, have I been there a few times. Maybe there was somebody you looked up to and they let you down. I think we've all had that experience. I kind of think pastors get to experience that a little bit more, but that's just my opinion. Well, sometimes our hearts can be broken toward God. Sometimes we get off track. And sometimes we stray and we allow God to become a lesser priority in our lives. And unconfessed sin begins to accumulate. And eventually, if you're saved, your own heart will begin to testify against you. And there is this kind of brokenheartedness that you begin to experience. Hebrews 12.6 says that God disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines his children. Now sometimes this brokenheartedness is what that discipline looks like. It is the absence of peace... In the light of sin. This is also one of the ways a person can know that they have in fact been saved. You know you are God's child because God chastises you as a child. And so sometimes there's this spiritual brokenheartedness that we have. There is a problem, however, and this problem is stated by the prophet Jeremiah. He says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, many of you know this verse. Many of you can quote this verse. Because we have a sin nature, 
our, our hearts are naturally wicked. And Jeremiah says, our hearts can deceive us. And so he asked this question. Who can know it? Who can know our hearts? But then in the very next verse, the verse that no one ever seems to quote, we have the answer to that question. It says in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. And so who can know the heart? God said, I know the heart. Sometimes our hearts convict us. And sometimes we need God's help to know what our hearts are telling us. We need God's help to know what is in our hearts. There's this phrase that you hear a lot of people saying. Follow your heart. You ever heard that? Of course you have. Worst advice you ever heard. You will not find that anywhere in the word of God. What we do find is that we follow God's word. And his word will speak to our hearts. And he will guide our hearts. Well, in our passage tonight, we see the cure for this broken heartedness towards God. And so look with me starting in verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. John understood that a truly saved person can still deal with a troubled heart. And so he shows us four ways that we can respond to that. One thing is we evaluate our love for others. 
verse 18 is like a hinge verse. It looks backward and it looks forward. He said, my little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, two weeks ago, when we were last studying the book of 1 John, we saw that love or the lack of love is one of the greatest indicators as to whether or not someone has been saved. And so John says, let us not love in word or in tongue. In other words, talk is cheap. We remember what James said. What good does it do to say to your cold and hungry neighbor? Go in peace, be warm and filled. But you do not accompany those words with actions. We are called to love. But John said we do it in deed and in truth. That means we put our love in action. Doing what is right. And notice verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. He said, by this we know. This is how we know. How we know what? what he, that we are in the truth. How do we know that? He told us in the verse before. By our love. When we love others the way we have been loved by Jesus, it brings assurance to our hearts. Assurance that we are God's children. Assurance that He is our God. Now, do any of us do this perfectly? Of course not. But as we have already seen, love will be the norm for the born-again child of God. He already said in verse 14, We know we've passed from death into life. Because we love the brethren. Now here's the problem we run into. Saying it is easier than doing it, right? Now, some people are near impossible to like. Uh, praise the Lord, nowhere does the Bible tell us that we have to like anyone. Sometimes I don't even like myself, tell you the truth. But we are called to love our neighbor and even our enemies. And by God's grace, we can do that. But it is not always easy. I heard someone say, at the heart of loving people is serving people. And the heart of serving people is humility. I believe that's true. And so sometimes our pride will stand in the way of our love. There was a man by the name of Richard Foster. Uh, he wrote a very famous book called The Celebration of Discipline. 
And uh, I remember reading that many years ago. But I love what he says about this. He said, in some ways, we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother. And houses and land. For the sake of the gospel. Rather than his commandment to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feeling of adventure. But he said, in service, we must experience many little deaths. In which we go beyond ourselves. Yes, love involves service. And service requires humility. And so we have to humble ourselves to love others. And John says to the extent that we do that, we have this wonderful thing called assurance. Now there may be some exceptions to what I'm about to say. But I find that people who are actively loving others don't really question their salvation all that often. Uh, believers who are loving others don't usually struggle with doubt. But sometimes if we do experience doubt, it's because God put someone in our lives and we're not loving them the way that we should. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Or a sibling. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a fellow church member. Maybe some of you need to ask God what it is that you need to be doing to love that one person. And yes, it's hard. But as you do this, you will have assurance. And so when our hearts are troubling us, we evaluate our love for others. But then we also invite God to search our hearts. Now look at what it says in verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now this is a difficult verse to interpret. If you line up 10 godly Bible scholars... You might get 10 different interpretations of verse 20. The big question is what we do with that first phrase. If our hearts condemn us. Now what does John mean by that? Now he's not talking about our hearts condemning us to hell. In fact, uh, this word for condemn that we see in verse 20 does not appear anywhere else in the Bible except for right here. In fact, all of the English translations say if our hearts condemn us. But I think the Spanish translations actually say it better. 
if our hearts rebuke us. Now, this seems to be more in line with what John is saying here. Sometimes our own hearts rebuke us. Now, some say that John is talking about those times when sin goes unconfessed. And so God, like that doctor, puts his finger right on the spot where it hurts. Now, is that a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. It may not be a pleasant thing, but it is a good thing. You know, I, I know it can be frustrating when you're starting to wonder, am I doing everything that I should do? Am I obeying God like I should? Am I loving others as I should? And, and sometimes you don't like the answers to those questions. But those questions are avenues of assurance. They're avenues of assurance. Because a lost person is not going to be asking those questions. Those who do not know Christ aren't going to be bothered by these things. It could be that John is talking about that person who is uh, super introspective. You know what I mean by that? This is the kind of person who just questions everything. No matter what they do. So if they do something good, they'll ask, was it good enough? If they do it for a good reason, they'll wonder, was my reason pure enough? And this is the person that will sometimes beat themselves up even if they don't have a reason to do so. Well, some people think, think that that's what John is talking about. Well, here's one idea. Sometimes we are harder on ourselves than God is. You remember when Peter denied Jesus three times? And Jesus then restored him? I think Peter was harder on himself than the Lord was. You see, your conscience can run away with you. And cause you to live under tremendous guilt. Because of sin that God has already forgiven. Now that certainly could be what John is talking about. When he says, if our hearts condemn us. Now, however you interpret that statement, it seems pretty obvious God does not want us to be in bondage to a condemning heart. So John encourages us. He says God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So what do I do when uh, my heart seems to be rebuking me? When my heart seems to be testifying against me. Do you follow your heart or do you follow God's word? Well, that's obvious. You take God's word and, and we go to God who knows our hearts. God knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. And we say to him, 
God, you are greater than my heart. You know everything that is in my heart. And I need you to show me anything in my heart that is contrary to your word. You say to God, I don't know myself sometimes. But you know me. And so I just commit all judgment to you. I put it in your hands. Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You see, you and I have this thing called a conscience. And that's a good thing. But you know God has something even better than that. You have a conscience. But God has omniscience. Now, which one is better? Which one would you rather trust? God is omniscient. John said he knows all things. He knows our hearts. He will tell you if your heart is testifying accurately about you. He'll show you when your heart is being too harsh. He'll show you when your heart is being too lenient. But as, but as God speaks through his word, and as God answers, you respond. God answers, and you respond. As God shows you, and if God shows you anything that is contrary to his word, you confess it. You celebrate God's forgiveness and you remind yourself there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you move on. So we invite God to search our hearts because he's greater than our hearts and he knows our hearts. And then that leads to something else we can do. We expect God to answer our prayers. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, in the verse before, John said, if our hearts condemn us. But then the very next verse, he said, if our heart does not condemn us. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It is toward God. In other words, it is not based on me. It is not based on what my heart says, which may and may not be correct. It's not based on my feelings, which may be up or down like a roller coaster. It's based on God's word, which does not change. And God says, whosoever believes upon him shall not perish. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So my confidence is based on God and what he says in his word. My confidence is not to be in myself. Now there's a logic that I want you to notice that starts in verse 18 and flows through verse 22. First we love others. Loving others assures us that we are in the truth. Even though we don't love perfectly. Then God says, trust me and not your heart. Because your heart is not infallible. It's not always correct. Then once we've settled that, John says we have confidence before God. And we can be confident that when we pray, God will hear us. And God will answer our prayers. Now please don't take this one verse and abuse it the way some preachers do. When John said whatever we ask we receive. He's not talking about us asking for the selfish things that we desire. He's talking about a believer who has this holy boldness when they come before God. Because they know who they are. And they know what is their standing before God. I like what one scholar said about this confidence that John is talking about. He said, it is the boldness with which the Son appears before the Father. And not that which the accused appears before the judge. Those are completely different kinds of confidence. When a son goes to his father, there's a confidence that he can have and should have. That son is confident that if he has a need, and if it is a genuine need, and if his father is able to meet that need, all he has to do is ask, because his father loves him, it is automatic. He is going to do it. Well, our heavenly father knows everything that we need. And he is more than able to meet every need that we have. And so with that in mind, how confident should we be when we come before God? And so John says we can be confident that we will ask and receive. And notice the end of verse 22. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now remember what John just said a moment ago. He said if our hearts do not condemn us. He's talking about what happens when we get to that place. And our hearts are right before God. And God answers us. And we respond to him. The key to answered prayer is obedience. A, a love for God and a love for your neighbor. By the way, the only way you can have confidence in prayer... 
the only way you can go boldly before the throne of grace is to be right with God and to be right with others. And when you do, all of a sudden, you might see God moving, answering prayer in a way that you never saw it before. A believer who has a clear conscience, who has confident access to God, and an obedient life that pleases Christ, this person can be assured that God will hear and answer them when they pray. And God will do it for their good. And he'll do it for his glory. Because after all, I'm a trusting child coming to a loving father. Who knows everything about me. And loves me still. And so we can expect God to answer our prayers. But then there's one more thing that we see in these last couple of verses. We observe the evidence of our faith. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, I find it very interesting that John says, this is his commandment. Notice that it is singular. That's interesting because John mentions two things. But in John's mind, it's as if those two things are really one thing. Because one flows to the other. And this commandment that John speaks of, it really summarizes the total response that God requires of us. What is our response to the gospel? He said, we believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. As you've heard me say several times, this word for believe is the word faith. So we believe or we have faith in the name. Jesus' name represents who he is. His identity. His character. We believe that Jesus is God's son. That refers to his deity. And his name Jesus means God saves. He came to save sinners by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he is Jesus Christ, meaning the chosen one, the Messiah, the one who fulfilled prophecy. Now you put together everything John says in verse 23. To believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ is to place your trust in him. To place your faith in Jesus and only in Jesus. And all that he is, the divine son, the sinless human, the perfect atonement for our sin, the Messiah, the Savior, and you trust all of him, 
not some of him, not part of him, not most of him. You put all of your trust in him and you trust in all of Christ or not at all. We place our faith in him, John says. And as a result of having placed our faith in him, what happens? We have a love for one another. A love that we never were capable of before. Faith leading to love. Faith resulting in love. And so all of this is wrapped up, John said, in that one commandment. Now, look at verse 24. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Now, did you notice in verse 23, he mentioned the commandment. But now, he says, he who keeps his commandments, plural. Now, note this change, because that's not an accident. When he refers to the commandments, he's referring to our response to the gospel. He's talking about what takes place when someone is saved. But this time, he's talking about the lifestyle of obedience that follows that. After a person is saved. He's talking about that lifestyle of obedience. That really is to be the norm for the man or woman who has been born again. There was one commentator who made a suggestion. And, and I believe that he's right. He said it helps us to understand verse 24 if we read it in reverse. Now, not word for word, but phrase by phrase in reverse. Starting at the end of that verse and then going to the beginning. For example, by the Holy Spirit given to us, we know God abides in us. And we know that we abide in God. And the one who abides in God keeps God's commandments. You see, we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we're saved. And the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in our lives not by speaking in other tongues, not by passing out or some type of erratic behavior. No, he manifests himself in our lives by our conduct, by our love for others, he empowers us to live righteously. He, he empowers us to love others. And it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in us doing what only he can do in us. This is what brings peace to our hearts. When our hearts are troubled, when our hearts are broken, 
when our hearts testify against us, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit and it is the work of the Holy Spirit who gives us that assurance that we desperately need. Now, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us. Notice we've been sealed. And so how has God sealed us? He has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I've been talking for a number of months now about how much God wants us to have this assurance. There are so many Christians who go through life and they don't have this assurance. And maybe they've been genuinely saved. But they don't enjoy the joy of their salvation. They don't get up and live every day knowing where they're spending eternity. God wants us to have this assurance so much that He has given us His Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit of God working in us doing what only he can do, bringing about those changes in me, those things I could never do on my own, causing the love of God to pour out from me, somehow causing me to love people I could never love otherwise. The Spirit of God at work in you and in me, he gives us that assurance. And God wants us to have that assurance so much. This is one of the reasons why he has given us his spirit. So that we would have, and, and so that we would enjoy that blessed assurance. And not just be saved, but know that we're saved. So that we can go out into this world with confidence. Even though sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we stray. And sometimes our own hearts will testify against us. And yet we can still have this assurance and go out and tell this world how they can be saved as well. Would you join me as we pray? Our God, how we thank you for not only saving us, but for giving us this assurance. And we know that sometimes we stray. And sometimes when that happens, our hearts will testify against us. Sometimes our own hearts rebuke us. But we don't even really know our hearts. Not like you do. And we thank you that even when that time comes, your word says you are greater than our hearts. And you know our hearts. And you will confirm to us through your word when our hearts are speaking to us accurately. 
And you give us that confidence. That confidence of knowing where we stand with you. And when we have that confidence, we can pray. And seeing you answer our prayers. And you've given us the Holy Spirit at work in us so that we can have this assurance. God, we thank you again. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here tonight who has never come to that point, that point that John mentioned of placing one's faith in Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, that this would be their day, that they place their faith in Jesus and only in Jesus, that they would stop trusting in themselves and trust in Christ alone. Thank you, O oh God, for allowing us to gather here tonight. Thank you for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name.